Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. Last week we started a new series called Reach, and the theme is Shine. And wasn't it great to have John Stumble back in town? And uh, opening God's word for us, it was, uh, it's great to have him back here. And uh, as John was talking, he was talking about this is shining, uh, really it happens best against a backdrop of evil and darkness. And he talked about what that looks like in our world and how our larger Alliance family is addressing some of that darkness. Um, and also alluded to the fact that we can't shine unless we're empowered to shine by the Spirit of God. And, um, and so today that, that's the theme, talking about being an empowered people. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled because I have a good friend of mine, Kelvin Walker, who is uh, joining us uh, today. Uh, Kelvin uh, is married, has six kids. Uh, one of his daughters is married this, this year. Um, his son graduated from NYU uh, on Friday and got on a plane and flew all the way out here. And, um, and Kelvin's a pastor, lead pastor at Bedford Hills uh, Church in New York. And he has been a, he's a lead pastor, he's been a worship pastor, a youth pastor. We met for the first time about 15 years ago at Simpson Graduate School. We were doing our master's program together. And while all the other students were doing homework at night, we were, uh, I was teaching them the fine art of prank calls. Uh, and uh, he was a wonderful student, and we, had, we actually had a lot of fun together. Uh, it's kind of given birth to a great friendship. We happen to both serve on uh, the board for our denomination, and so I get the joy of hanging out with him several times a year. But same lines, will you give uh, Kelvin a warm welcome as he comes and opens God's word for us today? I was a good student until I met your pastor. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> it is good to be here with you this weekend. It is good to be a part of uh, the service and to experience what God is doing here at Salem Alliance Church. As we begin, um, I want to uh, talk to you about a group of people known as the Shakers. They were known as the Shakers because one of their practices, their primary practice when they came together for worship was to, as a corporate community, come before the Lord. And the first thing they would do is they'd take their hands, turn them down, and they'd shake. Representing shaking off all of the things that I brought in here with me, all of the stuff that I'm concerned with that might block what God might want to say and do. All the things that I should be laying at the cross that I'm still carrying. And after doing that, they would then turn their hands over and they would say, come Holy Spirit, ready to receive, ready to receive. So if you would, can I invite you to be shakers with me for a minute? We shake it off. Lord, we shake off the anxiety. We shake off the negative words. The sense I get is some of you have had negative words spoken over you that you brought in here with you. You can't let go of them. We shake them off now in Jesus' name. Lord, we shake off fear. Lord, we shake off family concerns. We leave them at the cross right now. We shake off anything that would block us from receiving what you have to say. 
And now would you just turn your hands over? This is a posture of receiving. Come Holy Spirit, you've already been at work. Continue that what you're doing. We receive, we step into the flow of what you're doing. May our lives be transformed as a result of being in your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I should tell you that I grew up in uh, what's called a Baptocostal church. My dad was a Baptocostal pastor. We were Baptists that worshiped like Pentecostals. And I'm used to a congregation speaking back to me. All right? So, if you're not used to saying amen, you're released to say amen today. Uh, if you're not used to saying preach, preacher, it'd be nice if you said preach, preacher. That would help me out. Do we need to practice that or you got it? Practice? practice? All right, let's practice it. Preach, preacher. Preach. All right, amen. 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 Picture with me this. It was one of the worst hurricanes in history. The devastation was unimaginable. I got to see it firsthand as I rode through its aftermath in a yellow school bus with, uh, witnessing the tragic remains still left on the streets a year after this hurricane occurred. But the storm of which I speak is not the almost unheard of Rita or the unforgettable Katrina that decimated New Orleans and, almost, and parts of Mississippi or the devastating Sandy that uh, wiped out parts of Long Island and the Jersey Shore or the most recent Matthew that, that hit Haiti and left parts of Haiti in ruins. The year was 1992. The hurricane was named Andrew. The devastation came to South Dade County, Florida, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and I rode on a school bus with my youth group from Western Pennsylvania down to South Dade County, and we surveyed the devastation and tried to help families out as much as we could as they were trying so desperately to put their lives back together. There's an elderly woman named Norena who was a victim of that storm, and her case was, uh, was so unimaginable that her story made national news. After the storm occurred, she received an insurance settlement, and that insurance settlement went to repair her house. And, and she hired a contractor, and the work commenced. But soon, the money ran out, and so did the contractor. Her house was still left in ruins, and she had no electricity. So she got by on a small oil lamp and a small, a single burner that she used to cook. Now, here's the unimaginable part. Norena ended up living in that powerless, unfinished house for 15 years. And for 15 years, her neighbors didn't even notice the absence of power in her house. They walked by day in and day out and did not notice that there was no power in this woman's house. Finally, in February of 2007, someone alerted the mayor of South Dade County and when he found out about this, he went to work on how he was going to help take care of this. And it only took a few hours of work for an electrical contractor to restore power to her house. She had gone without power for so long that she found it kind of uh, unusual and overwhelming in order to be able to have power again, in order to be able to plug something in, in order to be, have electricity in her house. Here's an exact quote from what she said when the power was restored. It's hard to describe having electricity to switch on. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. 15 years of living with a situation it only took a few hours to fix. 
15 years without power, 15 years of your neighbors not knowing, noticing, or, not, uh, or even observing that you're living without power in your house, that you have a powerless house. That's the long time to be powerless and not have anybody notice it. That's a long time uh, to know yourself that you have no power and have no clue as to how you can take care of it. And sadly, after a while, you just get used to powerless living. You know, I wonder, how long is it going to be before many of us in Western Christianity realize we've existed on a small, barely lit oil lamp, living the mundane Christian life, and we've operated without power. I mean, we're expanding and growing and starting multi-site campuses and multiple service times, and we're perfecting our programs, and we're marketing ministry in effective ways like we've never marketed ministry before. We're attending small groups and support groups, and in our lives, we're getting involved in groups that tell us how to have more effective groups and what that group can do to change our life. And I'm not against any of that. We have multiple services at my own church. We have small groups. We're always looking about how we can be more effective. Those can be signs of a growing church. Those can be signs of a relevant church. Those can be great signs of community that's happening within the church. However, what we fail to see, what we fail to realize, what we fail to understand as all of those things are happening is this. The perfection of a program and the building of a building is too often mistaken for the presence of power. And unless our, 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 our perfectly executed programs and our well-developed worship services and our perfectly crafted sermons and biblical, our Bible studies are, are plugged into and filled with and operate under the influence of the power source, not, a, not just a power source, but under the influence of the power source, we simply walk around like the neighbors in Norena's neighborhood, not noticing the absence of power. We become so used to powerless teaching and powerless living and powerless programming and the powerless Christian life that we won't even recognize when the power has departed from our midst. It was the late Dr. A.W. Toza who served with the Christian and Missionary Alliance as a pastor for 44 years. He's widely regarded as a modern-day prophet of his time and one of the deepest theological thinkers of the 20th century. He made some of the most poignant um, statements and observations about the powerless church that I've ever heard. And even though he died nearly 54 years ago, these statements might still apply in our context today. One of the statements that he made stung a bit. Actually, when I thought about it, it stung a lot. Here's what he said. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. And if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would notice the difference. Existing on a single oil lamp that we try and fill on our own day in and day out. Living a mundane Christian life walking around the neighborhood, not even knowing there is an absence of power. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to settle for powerless living. 
the wonderful truth is this. There is more. More than a chasing after the latest and greatest devotional and spiritual growth book. More than another read through the Bible in a year plan, trying to see if I can get through the year before I quit and then have this guilt put upon me that I didn't complete it. More than a program that lasts until the next church growth consultant tells us what the latest and greatest fad is. More than doing a great job looking for a video clip or the greatest song or the next song or the next title or the next sermon or whatever it might be that will cause that thing that I need to happen inside of me. More than just existing on an oil lamp that we're trying to light ourselves. There is more power-filled living that results in power-filled, uh, power-filled ministry is available to each and every one of us. The prophet Joel was like one of those, let me say my peace and then I'm out of here kind of brothers. He was one of those prophets that said it, then moved on. It was not much known about him. One thing we know is that during the period of history in which he was a prophet, Uh, Israel had gone through a time of great devastation. The locusts had eaten everything in the land, including their animals. The judgment of God, referred to as the day of the Lord, was imminent. It was going to come if they didn't change. And through the prophetic word that the Lord gave to Joel, Israel was brought back to a state of repentance by a solemn assembly. And from the looks of things, God heard their prayers God heard their repentance, and he tells them that he's going to restore what the locusts have eaten. He uses, the, uh, uses Joel to prophesy something else about a future outpouring that was supposed to come and that he was going to bring. Uh, we see this prophecy in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Some 800 years later, after his resurrection and after walking 40 days with his disciples, Jesus prepared to ascend back to the Father. The disciples were still wondering where the military coup was going to happen. They walked with him for three years, and yet they still were dependent on their perceived methods of how he was going to restore Israel to his state, how he was going to raise up the kingdom of Israel. They were still dependent on what they thought he was going to do. And to their question, Jesus responded in this way in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in obedience to his command, they went and stayed in Jerusalem, and they gathered together in an upper room. And for 10 days, 120 of Jesus' disciples stayed, and they tarried, and they prayed, and they waited, and they listened And they prayed and they tarried. And finally, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read these words. This is what happened. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
The prophetic word from Joel came to fruition on the day of Pentecost. However, it didn't stop on the day of Pentecost. There was a continual outpouring that came to the disciples and to the apostles and to the earlier followers of Jesus so that there was a fulfillment of that prophecy. And I would like to submit to you today that this, there is still an ongoing outpouring. There is still an ongoing fulfillment of that prophecy. For that prophecy wasn't just for the early church. That prophecy was for those of us today. That prophecy has been extended to us as children of God and it's meant for each and every one of us. And when the Spirit of God is poured out in our midst, just as it's been promised, we are released to experience life in the kingdom through a power that is greater than what we can produce in our own strength. No longer do we have to exist on an oil lamp that we try and fill ourselves. There is a power, there is more that God has for us. We look to the wrong measurements, good programming and nice building and packed out services. Now I submit to you that Acts 2 releases us from the scorecard that we so often use to measure the success of our Christian walk or the success of our Christian life. But it begs us to answer this question. If effective living is marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life and in our midst, then how do I tell when this is happening? What are the signs? What are the indicators? How do I know when my life that I am living is spirit-driven and not program-driven? How do I recognize that the light of the Lord is shining and the power is on? What kind of life am I released into when the Holy Spirit is poured out in my life and in the context of the church in which I serve and where I attend? Friends, when like the early disciples, we tarry in God's presence and do not leave until His Spirit comes upon us and baptizes us and anoints us, we will experience a life that is, first of all, dynamic, prophetic, and supernatural. A life that is dynamic, prophetic, and supernatural. What drew people to the place where the disciples were? What brought them there? I submit to you that it was the dynamic sound of the wind of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says this, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. But that sound, that sound didn't just stay in the house. That mighty rushing wind, that dynamic sound, the wind of the Spirit, went from that room. And it says, And at this sound, the multitude came together. Dynamic. What did they experience when they gathered? They experienced a supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit's power. Verses 6 and 7. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. And then I look further down in Acts chapter 2. And I can't get away from verse 43 that says this. And all came upon every soul as many wonders and signs were being done in their midst through the apostles. Supernatural. They experienced a supernatural movement, supernatural outpouring. What did they receive on that day? They received a prophetic word from Peter that changed the course of their lives for eternity. Verses 14 and 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Hold on to that. 
then it goes on to say, so they received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This was prophetic. Now, there are two words that are used here for word. One of them is the word logos. It says they received his word. What word did they receive? When he opened up the scriptures and shared with them that what you're experiencing and what you're seeing is that which the prophet Joel had prophesied. It's being fulfilled today. These guys aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning. You really think they've been drinking this early? This is a fulfillment of the word, the Logos. But then he said this, give ear to my words. That's the word rhema. That's the now word. That is the word that God speaks right into your situation so you hear his voice, understand what he wants to do, and then you can act on what he says. That is the word that he gives birth to right now. We are so used to looking at the logos, but we're not used to asking God for a rhema. We have his word. And we have pastors and preachers who know how to, if I can use this phrase, exegete the word and explain the word and take all the pieces of the word apart. But we don't know how to ask God for a rhema. Give us a transformational word. That's going to change our lives. And Peter right here gives the prophetic word of the Lord that brings thousands to Jesus in one day. Throughout this book of Acts, we see this pattern. The Holy Spirit fills people in a dynamic way. Supernatural things happen and the prophetic utterances from the Lord flow. Why don't we see this so much today? Could it be that our desire for control and our settling for life as we know it has blocked the word and has blocked the spirit in this way? The theologian who says it like this, some Christians have been so concerned to keep up safe appearances and to make sure that they are looking like ordinary, normal people that they would never under any circumstances have been accused of being drunk at nine in the morning or any time. Part of the challenge of this passage is the question, have our churches today got enough energy, enough spirit-driven new life to make onlookers pass and comment at all? Has anything happened which might make people think we're drunk? If not, it's because this, is it because the Spirit simply uh, uh, works in other ways or we have so successfully quenched the Spirit that there is actually nothing happening at all? Are we drunk? Are they drunk? What's going on in there? It's a dynamic, prophetic, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit because he's been poured out in a new way, in a fresh way, in a powerful way. Friends, there is more. And when we hunger for more and we're willing to surrender our oil lamp and receive his power, something second happens, and that is this. We become people who are Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. 
Christ-centered, who in Christ-exalting. I want to submit to you that outside of using the passage from Joel to show how this was a continual and ongoing fulfillment of prophecy, the totality of Peter's message on that day could be summed up in two verses. Verse 21 of Acts, which says, Acts 2, which uh, is like the ending reference that he's using to Joel's prophecy. It says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in verse 36, he says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, and this, this Jesus whom you crucified. I want you to see what's going on here. Everything about Peter's message pointed to Jesus. Everything about Peter's message centered on Jesus. Everything about Peter's message exalted Jesus. Everything about Peter's message brought people to Jesus. And as a result, people got to see, encounter, and be transformed by Jesus. Too often, this is how we uh, live life in the kingdom. This is how we approach life in the kingdom. This is our, our model for things in the kingdom. When all else fails... Lift up Jesus, as if Jesus is supposed to be our last resort. As if Jesus is the one we call on when our methods don't work. But I would like to submit to you that a person in a church that has been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit takes this as their life approach to the kingdom. Always lift up Jesus or everything else fails. Israel Houghton says it this way, Jesus at the center of it all, from beginning to the end. It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. There was a preacher by the name of Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. He uh, pastored a church uh, in, in the city called Concord Baptist Church. He was born in 1918 born to the family of parents of former slaves. He grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He went off to college and got his, uh, his degree in, 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 um, in pastoral ministry and preaching. He went to seminary, he came home, and in 1948, he pastored a church right outside of where he grew up in Louisiana. It was a small church, country church, the kind of church where they had one single lamp that's in the middle of the sanctuary with a single light bulb that was hanging down, and that's what gave light to the sanctuary. One evening, he was preaching, and he was wound up, and he was going, and he was preaching away, and he was coming to the crescendo of his sermon, and right there, the electricity went out, and the light bulb that was in the center went dead. The room went dark. He was a young pastor, so he didn't know what to do. So he stuttered along for a minute and he hemmed and hawed, trying to figure out, how am I going to take care of this? What am I going to do? And after what seemed like probably an eternity to him of him stuttering, and it was only probably just a minute or so, uh, uh, one of the deacons from the back yells out this word, these words, Preach, preacher, we can still see Jesus in the dark. <laughs> what is it that that deacon was trying to get across? Give us Jesus. Point us to Jesus. Even in the darkness, celebrate Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does Jesus say about the, word, the role of the Holy Spirit? He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We work so hard to try and show people things about the gospel that they're not getting. And what, what, what are we supposed to do? 
Preach Jesus. Give him Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to release us into a life that is dynamic and prophetic and marked by supernatural power. He wants to release us into a life that is Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. Nothing else matters. And finally, when like the early disciples, we tarry in God's presence and do not leave until the Spirit fills us and anoints us, we are released into a life that is kingdom-focused and community-transforming. Would you read with me again from Acts chapter 2? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as as many had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Every time I read those six verses, I'm amazed by two things. The transformation of lives individually, but then also the transformation of the community corporately. They met the physical well-being of each person. Friends, the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to fill us and to transform us and make it about us, but He fills us. He pours Himself out on us. He transforms us so that we can be a part of helping to see transformation come to others. In other words, his filling and his coming upon us is to empower us for kingdom ministry. I find it interesting that there are two Greek words that are used for one word that we translate in English, and that word is in this passage is the word together. In verse 44, it's used as a, a way of positioning yourself next to another person. But then in in verse 46, that is used as a way of partnership where there is a giving and a receiving for the betterment of one another. We're not only standing together in unity, but we're giving and receiving, uh, giving to each other and receiving from one another so that we all move together, that all of our needs are met. That that, That which I need, you may have, and you're willing to give it to me. That which you need, I may have, and I'm willing to give it to you. So that life is not just transformed on the inside, but life is transformed on the outside. And we begin to see what Jesus sees. We begin to act in ways that Jesus acts. And we begin to notice what Jesus notices. And we get involved in the things that are on the heart of Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to release us into this kind of life. A life that's dynamic and prophetic and supernatural. A life that is Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. A life that is kingdom-focused and community-transforming. And when we are released into that kind of life, we are released from a life filled with performance and released into a life filled with power. We're released from a life that is fear-based and released into a life that is freedom-based. We are released from a life that is programmatic and stagnant and released into a life that is flowing and dynamic. We are released from a life that controls and restrains others and released into a life that empowers and releases others. We're released from a life that's filled with strategies and analysis and frugality and released into a life filled with listening 
and discerning and generosity when we are released into a life that is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit we are then released from a kingdom that is stress filled and exhausting and released into a kingdom that is power filled and exciting we are released from a kingdom that is ordinary and predictable and released into a kingdom that is extraordinary and vibrant we are released from a kingdom that is purpose driven and released into a kingdom that is presence based we are released from a kingdom of being threatened by others and released into a kingdom of caring for and loving others we are released from a kingdom that is all about me and released into a kingdom that is all about him his life his power his anointing his outpouring his mission his filling the holy spirit wants to come upon us and fill us with his power and transform our lives. Will you give me a couple more seconds of your time? Maybe what the problem is, is we look at things from life in this manner. We come to faith in Christ. And when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 20. When it says that he breathed upon his disciples, busted into a room where they were, they were locked away because of fear. Breathe upon them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He came to live in them. The Holy Spirit that he promised would live in them came to dwell in them at that point. He was in them. But the interesting thing that I find after he does that and he gives them the command to go and make disciples, the next thing he says to them before he goes back to the Father is, before you go and make disciples, I want you to go and tarry and wait. Because you have him in you, but there is a power that you still need to receive that will come upon you. Because what I have for you to do, the greater things that I've called you to, is going to require a power that is greater than your own. He's in you. But I want you to tarry so he can come upon you. And on the day of Pentecost, that sound like the rushing mighty wind came. And the Holy Spirit that was in them is now coming upon them. And Peter's word now has power that he's never had before. And as you look through the book of Acts, every time you see the disciples and the apostles and those who are followers of Christ ministering for Jesus, you see this phrase, and so and so, filled with the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon. <laughs> and they give out. And then they're called to do more ministry. You shall receive power and the coming upon. Could it be this is what Paul was talking about when in Ephesians 5.18, he says to us, do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time coming upon. It is a continual process of being being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit.
we have settled for the baptism in the Spirit. And Jesus says there's more. There's a baptism of the Spirit. And some of you, as you hear this today, you say, I get this. I've experienced this. I know what it means to have the power come on me over and over again. And some of you are hearing this, starting to realize I've settled. It's been enough for me to have the indwelling. But then I try and live life from my simple oil lamp. And I try and pour more oil into myself. And somehow, I think that's enough. And today, Jesus is asking you, are you willing to surrender your oil lamp and let my power come upon you? Friends, there's more. There's more. Let me close with this. Our time is running out. I asked your pastor if it was okay that I share this, so I don't want to just get up here and give something that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't give me permission or release me to do. But I shared it with him, and he said it was okay. This morning, as I was uh, laying in bed, uh, I was awakened. I thought maybe it was because, you know, I'm still on East Coast time, um, but I was awakened pretty early. And I, I, I heard in my, in my, in my heart uh, a passage about Ezekiel 37, where there's a passage about valley of dry bones, and the Lord saying to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord that these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And that question kept sticking out. Can these bones live? And I got a picture of this sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, as I saw this, uh, the, I saw what I, what, I, what I see is the fire and the glow of the Holy Spirit. But then I also saw certain segments that looked ashen and brittle. And I, I wouldn't say that's the literal building. I, I would say that's representative of pockets of lives that are ashen and brittle. And this is what I sense the Lord saying. When you say your soul is dry, you look to another study, or you look to an exercise, or you look to a conference to revive you to take away the dryness. But if you let me, I will replace your dryness with a thirst and a hunger for me. The only thing that can quench your thirst and make you thirsty for more in a good way is the baptism of my spirit. The more you resist, the drier you become. But there is more. If you would only give me a chance and stop rejecting what I have for you, I will take away your dryness and leave you with a healthy hunger that I am more than happy to satisfy. Yes, these bones can live again. Let me breathe upon you. Stop looking to dry things to take away your dryness. Hunger for more of me. So there's the question. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for more? Hungry for more? I invite you to stand. If you're hungry and you're saying, Lord, I don't want to be dry bones anymore. I don't want to live on my own oil lamp. There's an outpouring that you have that's greater than anything that I could bring to the table. I want more. Would you stand?
And as you're standing, the words of an old song come to mind. And that's the prayer that I'm going to lift up to the Lord for us. Lord, we want more of you. Living water rain down on us. Lord, we need more of you. Living breath of life, come and fill us up. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for you. We are thirsty, oh Jesus. We are thirsty for more of you. We lift our hands up. We want to touch you. We lift our hearts up to you higher and higher and higher. Lord, we surrender our self-made oil lamps. We don't want to be like those neighbors walking by, not knowing that the power is out and trying on our own to do this. We are hungry for more of you. Spirit of God, we are so grateful that you live in us. And now, Spirit of God, pour out more of yourself on us. You have baptized us in your spirit. We want to receive the baptism of your spirit. We are hungry for more spirit. Break out. Break out. Break out. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.